Pages of Pim Better Podcast. of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 224. My guest on today's episode is John Charles Dwyer. John is a musician, and I found out about his music when we were traveling through Asheville, North Carolina. As I do in so many places, I was reaching out to all sorts of folks that I might try to connect with and record with, 
And as happens often, uh, sometimes I don't hear back from people until after I've already left. And usually that's because I hadn't anticipated necessarily ending up in a place. Sometimes I have the idea of it. And, you know, when you're traveling, one thing leads to another. And sometimes you're somewhere new that you didn't anticipate. So we couldn't necessarily connect when I was in Asheville, but we were able to connect remotely today, thanks to the wonderful powers of Zoom. Uh, John writes really, really wonderful music. Genres are genres, you know, like kind of folk, kind of Americana, just really good stuff. Uh, I've, I've connected with it both, I guess, what you would call sonically and lyrically, and I really think he's one of the best artists out there right now, like across genres. Um, so I've been playing his stuff nonstop. And right after this intro, I'm going to play a song for you off of Junebug. The song is called Briar Vine. So I won't do a big intro today. Uh, pretty long conversation, and I could I could could have kept going. So hopefully we'll do a number two the next time I'm down in Asheville. Uh, so go to the show notes for this episode and you will find a link to John's music and his website and we'll talk about the record label a bit, but uh, it looks like they still have some 8-tracks available and some vinyl LPs. So go pick that up if you're into it. Uh, he's also got a band camp and you can find his stuff on iTunes, Spotify, all the regular places. Uh, also in the show notes for this episode, you will find a link to my Instagram and to my Patreon account. And you get some cool kickbacks with the Patreon account, like the zines I put out, or stickers, or shirts, or all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, again, right after this jump, you are going to hear Briar Vine by John Charles Dwyer. Yeah, and thanks for doing this. I know uh, you don't really know me or anything, so thanks for uh, putting your trust in me. Yeah, well, I was like, I was like, you know, I've, I don't, I've not really ever. Well, I feel like I've done things similar to this, but typically, and this is not really to say that there's anything weird about this for me because I feel really comfortable meeting you, obviously, and everything. But I've never really done this with somebody that I was like, oh, they just kind of hit me up, you know, through an email or like said they were coming through town. So like, yeah, I also really appreciate you, you know, um, reaching out to me to do that. I can't remember. I know you told me maybe in the first email, but I can't remember really how, um, I don't know how I became an option, I guess you could say like in your, in your world, you know what I mean? All right, cool. I'll let you know. And I'm rolling. If that's cool, this is real, uh, real informal. Um, yeah. So just like this is really, uh, a passion project and, um, uh, traveling is my passion and, and everywhere we go, I just try to find people that I'm interested in that I would be able to talk to and, and do an episode with. So we kind of like found our way in Asheville and that's what happens a lot is like, I'll end up in a place and then I start reaching out to people and it's kind of already too late at that point. Cause by the time they get to it and, and get to their schedule, it doesn't quite work out. So sometimes these end up being remote, but right. I was looking for people in Asheville, man. And, uh, I found your stuff. And so I'm actually gonna, that'll be sort of my, here comes my sort of long intro. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. There's a, 
there's this feeling that you get when you connect with like new music or music that's that's new to you, something you've discovered for the first time. There was a lot, maybe more power to the experience when I was younger um, because music also like sort of represented belonging. Like you discover these bands uh, in a certain genre and it's like a community that you're involved in. But often like you would discover something and it was like yours for a little bit. And then you'd be like excited to bring it to your friends. And I'm going to be 35 next month, even though I, I still look like a kid. But I was <laughs> listening to uh, the first song I heard of yours was Briarvine. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of everything. And, and I felt that again, like I'm not trying to be cheesy, but I felt that sort of, I, I don't really have the words for it, but it's uh it's like a contentness, I guess, when you when you discover new music and you just you play it to death, and it, it's almost like chasing the dragon at that point, where it's like you know almost like the 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 point of diminishing returns, where you just listen to it so much and you're like, all right, let me let me move on to something else. But um, I, I'm still in that playing it to death period <laughs> with with your music. So um, yeah, just passing through Asheville, and then I was like, man, I, I'd like to connect with him. So here we are. Man, that's, um, well, first of all, that's super, super rad because, well, for one, I can really, um, I can really sympathize with that feeling of kind of feeling like, man, there was really a time where it felt like I could not discover enough new music. And it felt like everything for a while there was just like, wow, this is so new. This is something off the beaten path. This is something that like hits me in a certain way that this other stuff did, but it's like now in a new a new voice or a new form or something. And like, I often, I don't know how real this is, but I often get worried like recently where I'm kind of like, why do I not feel like excited sometimes about, you know, these new things? Cause there's, it's obvious that the options are like, you know, endless that are out there, I think right now. Um, and maybe that's part of it too, of this kind of like over stimulation a little bit to where so it, well, first of all, yeah, it truly means a lot that something like, you know, that you listen to of mine could make you feel that feeling. Cause for me, that's it. It can be a very like hard feeling to find. So that's like, that's fucking sick. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, yeah. And on top of that, I often am, you know, uh, a little bit worried about my own state with that, you know, where I'm just kind of like, man, I just really listened to the same stuff I listened to in my early 20s, just kind of like maybe just a few times over now. You know what I'm saying? I do understand that. I have a friend who was doing a music podcast for a while, and he's always like, have you have you heard this band? Have you heard this band? I'm like, no. Like, I, I, like you were saying, there's so much constantly coming out nowadays that like I – you know, probably through nostalgia, I'm just like listening to the same stuff I listened to 10, 15 years ago. Exactly. Or there are times where I'll give like a new band or a new artist kind of like, I'll give it a listen. You know what I mean? Like really trying to like let myself have that moment. And I like it most of the time, or I don't, it's not that I like dislike it. It's just that usually I end up going to myself like, oh, this makes me think of this record that I used to listen to. I'm just going to go and listen to that record yeah, yeah, yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> did you, uh, it's, funny, it's super funny, but that's, that's, that makes me feel incredible. I, I appreciate you saying that for sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, did you grow up in North Carolina? 
I did. Yeah. I grew up, um, it's kind of my shitty claim to fame. I guess you could say it's kind of been a joke now at this point, uh, since I've left this town, uh, when I was 18, but I grew up in Denver, North Carolina, um, which is kind of, you know, I don't know if you've ever probably maybe passed through that place, but, um, there's not really, there's not really a ton going on there. Um, I think if you were to drive through now, it would at least look like, oh, there's Walmart and Lowe's and like, you know, Harris Teeter and food line, all the, these kind of like basic things that people want, like in their towns, but nothing that really like, in my opinion, like ever really felt like it had like some character, I guess you could say, or like some substance, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it was, it felt super rural growing up, but it was also very close to downtown Charlotte. You know what I mean? It was mm. like 15 to 25 minutes northwest of downtown Charlotte. Um, and, you know, I grew up with a mom that worked downtown for, she didn't go to college. She just kind of, you know, went straight to Duke Energy when she got out of um, school or got out of high school. Um, so I was like always kind of familiar more so it felt like with that kind of like downtown part. And when we started, you know, when you turn 13 or 14 and you start to either, either you have older friends that can drive or like in my case, like my mom was extremely cool about wanting to drive me to, you know, hardcore and punk shows and things like that in, in Charlotte. So, um, and it's funny, man, I look back now and I'm like, God, my mom dropped me off at some of these places. And I'm like, why would you ever like looking around now? It's like, I, that was a bad idea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of what I, what I grew up in. It's almost like a, like very, um, conservative in many ways, I guess you could say. I definitely grew up in a church setting, you know? Um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, I guess not boring. It's not the best word, but just kind of at this point in my life, just kind of whatever, I guess you could say, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take you further back on your timeline. Do you remember before even like, this is a band I liked, or this is music I'm listening to. Do you remember your earliest memories of music? Like maybe something that was being played in the house? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, the, the two things that I always think of, um, when it kind of comes to like diving into these kind of like older memories and things like that. Cause I, you know, sometimes your memory is pretty tricky and I can't remember necessarily like maybe which one of these came first, but I remember these two things being like pretty important, you know? Um, so my grandmother, my mom, all Doris, um, she's from West Virginia. Um, and that's my, my mom's mom, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, when I was, in at least elementary school was uh was very open about telling me about like the grand Ole opry and like kind of like more <clears throat> i would i would say like more appalachian based kind of music you know um and i would definitely say more like spiritual like kind of religious music too you know so there was that kind of side of it that i really really enjoyed and i really loved it um particularly i think like the the banjo aspect of these, like, like at a young age, I remember thinking like, that sounds so crazy. Like, I don't know how someone plays something like that, you know? Um, and then I would say the kind of flip side of that was my father, um, who 
coincidentally was like very into kind of like late eighties, early nineties, hip hop stuff, like really hardcore hip hop stuff, like Dr. Dre, uh, Snoop Dogg and like NWA, things like that. And, you know, I remember seeing these like album covers, like these kind of famous Snoop Dogg and Dre's like the chronic album, you know, album covers, like, but they were like off limits. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, you can't, you can't listen to that yet. And of course, like you tell a kid that, and like, I don't care if they're like super rebellious or not rebellious at all. Like the curiosity is going to be in there, you know? So a lot of the time I would like find myself kind of like sneaking into that. Like I remember the first time that I watched boys in the hood and I definitely wasn't supposed to do that, you know, but it was just so, it was so enticing to me. Um, and yeah, so I would say that was kind of like this other side of it that really at a young age, like really introduced me to extremely raw and like really kind of like pissed off, kind of like not giving a shit kind of music. You know what I mean? And I love that. Like I, I really fell in love with that pretty quick. And I often like joke about this, but often really do believe that hip hop and like rap music were like really my first loves in, in the music world. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, I've heard people refer to like mountain towns in the South as being mountain South versus living in the South. Um, And Mm. I, you know, not having any experience, I'm thinking that's like meaning that there's possibly like a specific culture to growing up like in Appalachia. and I would just think, again, not experiencing it, that like, you know, like a lot of like Americana roots, you mentioned banjo. Uh, did it feel like there was like a distinct music culture that sort of like defined the region, like bluegrass would sort of define like Kentucky? Yeah, I just think that, yeah, it sucks. But like, I I think that at least for the town that I grew up in, the... Um, maybe the common thread or something that I could look at and say like, that's kind of like a representation of what people seem to enjoy to listen to in this area. And a lot of the time it was like more, I mean, really like kind of like nineties, more like mainstream Nashville country. You know what I mean? Um, There was, you know, there's NASCAR is like a really big thing (laughs) where I come from. My father's like has always worked within the realm of like, you know, GM motors and NASCAR and things like that. So like we had like, you know, neon light bulb fixtures in our house and things like that. It looked like a fucking dive bar. Um, And I mean, at least for me, the memory I have most of like what kind of like people identified with was that more like Alan Jackson style of country, I guess you could say, you know what I mean? Um, Whereas, you know, that was kind of more Denver, North Carolina, but like I said, like with my grandmother being such a huge part of the picture when I was younger, that was definitely, you could see the kind of difference where to me, like in the mountains, it always seemed like it was more of a, um, well, I guess what a lot of people, when they talk about Appalachia, what they would call like an otherness, you know what I mean? Um, where it felt like that music kind of came more out of being more isolated from other people and kind of like relying on the community aspect of it to kind of like, we can all play this. Um, we can dance to this, you know, we can kind of serves a lot of different like purposes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, you know, coming from New York. Uh, yeah, Harlem, right? I, I work in Harlem, yeah. I, I live in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, but there, there's a specific mindset in New York and, and kind of like a way of looking at the world and looking at the country through the lens of a New Yorker. I think travel definitely helps you peel away at that lens a bit. But I think if, if I'm talking in generalities, places like Appalachia or like the Midwest are often associated with like red states, right? With in more current times with like, with Trumpers, um, often, and I mean, zero disrespect by this, but like often looked at like, oh, those people are are backwards, right? Or or in, in a very like negative connotation through, through traveling, I've discovered that like in any place elements of stereotypes exist, but you know, seven out of 10 people are really going to upend your, your perception of what you thought that place was, um, and really surprise you. And I think it's a bit of like a working class thing where, where people are starting to sort of reclaim the narrative. Um, people from Rust Belt States and, but also like, you know, there's a, I think a bit, I think they're from Nashville. They're called like rising Appalachia, right? The two sisters. And so it's sort of like a balancing of like a pride for the place that I'm in, because of course I'm proud of the, the culture I grew up in while also like still having an understanding of the things that could use some change. Um, does that, uh, is that an accurate depiction of like the, the reality of growing up in your town at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that actually resonates pretty, pretty incredibly with me right now. Um, just to kind of give you like a little sidebar, I guess you could say like, I've been in the process this past week of applying for a job in Kentucky, um, for this nonprofit organization. Um, and you know, Today, as I'm writing this cover letter, which I haven't done, man, in a really, really long time, you know, like most of the jobs I would say that I've had in the last, you know, six to seven years, it's either been something like a coffee shop or barista work or like with the tattoo shop that I work at now, that's definitely more of like a, you don't really apply for like places like that a lot of the time. they You kind of like show up, get tattooed there, become friends, and then you kind of like get shouldered in, I guess you could say. So anyways, like in this cover letter, I feel like the biggest point that I was trying to make about this organization was very much the fact that they represent something that resonates with me and like where I kind of grew up, which is, yes, this definite, um, I guess you could say almost like a revering of an, an admiration of these certain traditions, you know what I'm saying? And like loving these certain aspects of those but also being able to recognize when they are flawed and they don't, in fact, like they're not all inclusive. They don't actually work for everybody. You know what I mean? Um, and there seems to be a, at least from what I can tell, a pretty big reclaiming of that in Appalachia. Like, um, you know, at least since I'm not saying since like the last few years, because I would assume that the work, I think the work has been ongoing for a very long time, you know, but I do think there's, it's becoming more, the voice is becoming louder, I think, of, of people that are saying like, yes, we are, we are Appalachian and we are from this like deep, really, you know, um, culturally like a pretty deep rooted traditional thing. 
but we're also reclaiming that in a way that, yeah, that we think is more loving, that's more accepting and that's more, yeah, just, I would say all around, like a more all encompassing kind of like mountain culture, I guess you could say, you know, and it's pretty sick too, to, like you said, that I'm, I myself am like, can find myself surprised with certain people that I come across that, you know, just from my upbringing and from the old folks that I grew up around, I have a pretty deep assumption of like what they believe, like maybe some, some kind of like weird shit they might say just kind of like casually. That's like, not like, not really cool to say, but it's just like to them, it's, it's, it's just like commonplace, I guess you could say. Um, but I'm often surprised at the people that have also been wanting this type of kind of transition for a long time. You know what I mean? Um, and are happy to be like a part of that, I think, you know, um, I would say that's been a little more Appalachia though, as opposed to like, again, I'm not trying to just really shit on the town that I grew up in. It's just, it's fairly, I think, comfortable with kind of being the way that it is, I guess you could say, you know, um, I think, yeah, it's, there's not as much like loud voice aspects happening there. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I mean, it sure does. That's another thing. Like I will always like sort of like blow the horn of like people need to get out and travel because I think that's most of the country. Like every exit on every interstate is a family dollar, a subway, a McDonald's and like not a ton else. And I don't mean that to disrespect any place, but that is a lot of the country. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, um, you know, I went to, I went to college in Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian state. And, um, I studied Appalachian studies and my other degree was sustainable development, which, you know, really focused a lot on like food culture and fresh food, like just, uh, food, uh, deserts as I guess you could say. And it wasn't until that time of learning that where I was like, Oh, that's what I grew up in. You know, it was pretty much a, like, even if you wanted to really kind of eat different, like, or eat something that was maybe going to benefit your body, I would say a little better, like that, it wasn't even really an option. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it does, it makes it, it makes it, um, not such a like black and white issue, I think when it comes to those folks and geographically, like where they are, you know? Yeah. I think it would surprise a lot of people living in major cities to know that there are towns where the family dollar is also the grocery store and the only grocery store. Um, yeah. Which is, is, yeah. is quite like, different. Yeah. Yeah. Like selling, like it's so wild to me. Like I, I used to be really into like touring cycling. Um, like just like usually like a three to four day cycling trip. Um, oh, that's cool. And there was one that I took from Boone, North Carolina to, to Garden City Beach, South Carolina. It was about a three to four day trip. So kind of same thing. But most of the towns that we camped out in, that was your first source of food, you know? And they had, and I would often walk in there and be like, oh, they have like ground beef and like <laughs> this, like kind of like fresh meat. And I'm just like, I wondered though, like, where's this, you know, like I can look on my map and see like how close these next towns over really are. And it's like, boy, that's, that's wild to me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It, yeah, that's interesting. Intense, yeah. <laughs> um, you in this conversation, you've mentioned mom and you've mentioned grandma. 
yeah. mom and grandma also show up in your lyrics um, more than once. Uh, how, yeah. I mean, obviously everyone's mom is important to them, but, uh, you know, how important to, to the person that you are now were they uh, as you were developing? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of those things that it almost feels not impossible, but a bit, a bit of a task to understand how to like really explain that fully. You know what I mean? Um, and it's really not to say that my dad in some way didn't influence me. It's just without getting too far into that, like we don't have a relationship, you know what I mean? And haven't had one in a long time. Um, even, you know, when he was around, it was, it was just different, man. Like it was just, we just, we just didn't really have any sort of like closeness, I guess you could say. Whereas my mother being this, I mean, from the get go has always been like just this all encompassing, let me, let me be there for you in any way, shape or form. You know what I mean? Like I distinctly remember when I was in high school, um, I was in this, this metal band called Anne Marie, um, and I was the vocalist of this band and like, you know, so I took it so seriously to the point where I was like, well, they practice guitar parts, drum parts and bass parts and all this stuff on their free time. Like I should practice my screaming parts as well. So, you know, I would come home from school and it was so weird. I can't imagine like now what it was like for my mother, but I would just like put headphones in and just be like, mom, this is going to be weird, but like, I gotta, I gotta get my voice up to working, you know, uh, status for this like screaming shit. And so I would just walk around just like screaming these, like screaming along with these metal bands in my headphones, you know, and I would get done and she would just be like, you know, John boy, it just sounds, that just sounds so good. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I, I am not trying to take away from anybody else's experience with their mother. Cause I think they all, everybody's got like their own that makes it unique or special, but like there's just sometimes with stuff like that, I look back and I'm just like, I don't know, man, that's, that feels really, really special to me, you know, and feels kind of like in some ways unheard of, at least for my, you know, circle of friends. Like, it's like, I don't think their mothers or parents in general were kind of the same way. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I can, I can say that I had quite the opposite experience. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like I, she's just always been like pretty much, I mean, even with my tattoos, like I, you know, I feel like it's funny to say this now because we've, you know, we, I would say our culturally, we've definitely come to a more accepting place with tattoos for sure. But when I started getting tattooed when I was 18, you know, and I'll, I'll be 31 next month. Um, so this is almost 13 years ago, you know, it, especially in my town, like that was a very like kind of taboo thing to do, you know, um, or to have piercings. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I had like this lip piercing and, you know, often would get like kind of these murmurs from like, even like dads in the church, they're supposed to be these like really good dudes, you know, that would kind of be like, I think this dude's like playing for the pink team or something like stuff like that where yeah. you just like, wow, that's, Fuck it. But my mom would just, dude, she was in it, like at all times was just like, well, what do you think? You know, like, what do you think about God thinking that he's got to live? You know, she would just kind of like be right in there with it. And like, that was always like extremely important to me and really like made me for one, like just feel really, really comfortable with like 
okay, if I feel like I need to be this person, then like, it's okay for me to be that, you know? Um, even if these motherfuckers like don't get it, you know? Um, and then I would say, yeah, for my grandmother too, like, it's funny, man. She was, she was very, very, I would say like kind of mean and like kind of crude to my mom, but never was like any sort of way like that with me. Um, I went to daycare as a kid, but would most of the time kind of opt out if I could go to like my mom's house for the day, you know, because that just meant like, I'm going to watch fucking whatever TV that I want. She's going to make me frozen pizza, <laughs> popsicles. Like it's everything that you could ever want. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, man, I would say in the same way, both of them are highly, highly anxious people and very, you know, at this point in my life, I realized like a bit, um, a bit obsessive compulsive about certain things. And like, those were, you know, these are things that I'm, I definitely wasn't picking up on or I didn't know I was picking up on at the time, but in the same way that they've given me a lot of things to look back on and like feel so supported and loved. There's also as, as many things that I can look at and be like, Holy shit. Like I'm doing that same thing or I'm superstitious about the same weird little little things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, it's, it's interesting in that way for sure. Just be careful just to let you know, just be careful of moving your mic too much. Cause it'll come through a little, uh, we'll hear yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but otherwise you okay. sound great. Um, y- you mentioned being, uh, not only like a fan of punk and hardcore music, but I guess like a, a member of, of bands in the scene there. I've done regional episodes and I love doing regional episodes. Um, I did like Tampa, I did DC. We're going to be traveling to Montana. And like, that's the first thing I do is like (laughs) history of punk music in Montana, because like everywhere in very surprising places outside of the coasts, there were like vibrant scenes with like bands I've never heard of. And it allows me to discover them. So I want to ask you, what was your entry into that world? And then, um, like, who were the bands, I guess, from North Carolina? And I guess maybe they were coming from Charlotte. Um, Like what that scene was like for you growing up. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sorry, let me, I'm getting this. All right, that's a little better. Cool. Um, So yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to think of like maybe kind of the first experience that I had with it, you know, Um, it was definitely not until I really got into like my freshman year of high school. Um, You know, I think I, most of middle school, I was pretty convinced Tim, that I was going to be like a rapper for the rest of my life. (laughs) No. Um, And that was kind of, that was kind of that, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah, it was just, I was about living that life. I would, you know, write, I would get in freestyle battles, like in the cafeteria in the morning and things like that. And like, it was just like, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. It's just like, that's what made sense to me. But at the same time, that's really where I started like first writing for the first time and like trying to put it in like some sort of like song form, I guess you could say, you know? Um, so it wasn't really, yeah, until I got into, I would say ninth grade before I'd kind of like, it was, do you ever have, I don't know if maybe you had this, but like there's sometimes where, especially if you're going from like one school to the next or something like that, it's kind of like over the summer, you kind of like, 
like go through this transformation a little bit, you know? Um, you're kind of like, well, I'm starting this new school. I can kind of like, I can be a new person. You know what I mean? If I want to. Um, so I started listening to like Blink-182 a lot and like some 41 and just like that kind of, that was kind of my like crossover kind of genre, I guess you could say. And then somebody at some point, um, I really think it was like one of my first semesters in high school, like showed me one of their older sisters who was really into like ICP and stuff like that and Slipknot, um, you know, had given him uh, a Headbangers Ball CD, which was just like, you know, one of those old, like pretty famous kind of compilations of just like big kind of metal and metalcore bands at the time. And so I just like completely was obsessed with it. You know what I mean? Like it was just so, it was kind of interesting the way that like early hip hop stuff was just felt so pissed off and like really like not holding back to me. It's like that kind of like, these bands kind of like scratch that same itch, I think, you know? Um, and like, in particular, it's funny, like bands like Slipknot, I loved so much because I just thought they were so, they looked so weird. And like, they, you know, again, were just really, really mad. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was almost like there was something also, like I said, like a little bit taboo about it, like growing up in youth group and being at school and things like that. And like, when I started playing guitar, I think most people were like, oh, great. Like he's going to play in the church band with guitar. Like that's why he's doing that. You know what I mean? Um, And to kind of come home from school and like put in my headphones and be listening to this shit and feeling like, man, I'm doing something so, so wrong. You know what I mean? Like there was something that was like (laughs) funnily like exhilarating about that for me. You know what I mean? Um, So anyway, though, like the first time my mom took me to a show, an actual like hardcore show or not, not even really like straight hardcore show. It was more, you know, kind of an emo screamo punk show, I guess you could say. Um, and the only reason she took me was because there was a band playing called under oath and they were a Christian band. You know what I mean? Right. Like that was kind of my in, you know, she did her ample amount of research as far as like, yeah, like I heard they're a Christian band and they do this thing called screamo to like <laughs> worship Jesus. And like, it's like, yeah, that's exactly right, mom. Like that's what I'm going to do is to worship Jesus. You know what I mean? So, so um, I show up and like, I, yeah, that moment in time, I think like probably changed just kind of the course of, of everything for me. You know what I mean? And like, don't get me wrong, like Under Oath was cool. And I'm really glad that I got to see them and like, it was at the time that it was, um, but there was a band that opened, um, which you may be familiar with called the chariot and the chariot was something that like, Oh, it just like opened up so many different doors in my head and in my heart. Like, I just felt like I've never seen anything like this. And I've also never seen people do things like this and not be like, uh, kind of like cocky fucking assholes about it. You know what I mean? Like these people were so down to earth and they made, they made everyone feel like, yes, we're here to perform for you, but we're also here to have you like be here with us. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it was a very like communal aspect to it. Um, yeah. And like I said, I was completely hooked ever, ever since then. Um, you know, and after that, you kind of start to, 
you kind of start to figure out like, okay, like how do I get there? Like, how do I do that where I'm in this really small town where shows don't really happen? I don't really know if there's people that would even want to play this kind of music, you know? Um, so you kind of start to like look to your close friends who also enjoy these things and are like, okay, well maybe I'll learn bass or like maybe I'll learn drums. Maybe I'll learn guitar. And those first, like, I think few years you're like, you're really just like making all the mistakes and making shit sound really bad, but you're just trying to like kind of enjoy it. I think, you know, and actually feel like, okay, like we started it. We've, we're trying to do that thing, you know? Um, and I would say on top of that too, man, my high school, which again, I don't know how many high schools this happened at. I feel like it was kind of a special thing, but um, every year around the, like around the same time as the Relay for Life um, festival or whatever that would happen like at the um, high school, you know, track football field, there was also at the same time in my high school cafeteria, uh, like a, um, I guess you could say like a, what was I'm sorry, dude. I'm like battle of the bands or something on the, on the, on the word right now, but like a, um, I mean, it was a hardcore show. It was a punk show. That was a fundraiser show of like, you know, letting local bands play, but also all the proceeds went to relay for life. Yeah. And so I always thought it was a really rad way for high school students who probably like, don't want to go to this other thing. Um, for, it was something for them to be involved in, you know? And at the time, like being a freshman or a sophomore, like, that felt like the ultimate goal. You know what I mean? To be able to play in the cafeteria and have it like fucking like pop off. You know what I'm saying? Like that was such yeah. a, it was such a exhilarating thing, I guess you could say. Um, and so that was really like, I think like the first um, experience that I had, not only with like more of like a touring aspect band, but also like, oh, there's actually things going on in my hometown. You just kind of have to, you kind of have to like search for it a little bit more. You know what I mean? And if you want it to be something, then you really, really have to make it happen yourself. You know what I mean? Because there's not going to be like show opportunities or venues opening up. You know what I mean? It's, it's like somebody's going to let you play in their greenhouse tonight, you know? Um, or somebody's going to let you play like in their basement tonight or their driveway, like, kind of shit like that you know what I mean yeah <clears throat> lots of uh lots of mildly alcoholic but also very patient parents is what I'm <laughs> saying. you know what I mean like <laughs> were you so um obviously like everybody's musical I don't I don't want to say everyone's musical tastes adapt but um I don't know. I guess as we mature, like we start listening to like a wider range of stuff. When I was first like introduced into like punk and hardcore music, I had a bad attitude. Like, and it was more like my anger at the world. And so I felt like a very exclusive thing, like, you know, anything else sucks because those people don't want to be a part of this circle. So you can't come into it. Um, but there are some bands that are kind of crossover like if you think like so like a lucero or even like for whatever reason like jason isbell like jason molina there there are some musicians who for whatever reason sort of like tapped into the punk community um were you listening to that stuff at all like alongside heavier stuff yeah for sure um i excuse me 
it, but I will say there was really kind of one person that, that I would say like opened up that like transitional kind of door, you know what I mean? To where I did feel comfortable enough with saying like, I listened to this really heavy shit, but I also really, really love this other stuff. And that was definitely Dallas green and city in color. Like there was just, I think I was on MySpace one day, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think I'd seen somebody, a friend of mine, maybe like post this video of this, this super heavily tattooed man playing a solo show in this really empty bar. And it was, I mean, to this day, I, I still think it was like one of the most <laughs> incredible voices that I ever heard, like just kind of on first, you know, first listen or whatever, like to the point where it was like, I have to know who this person is, you know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, after you kind of find out who he is and realize like, oh, he's in Alexis on fire and like is also kind of a part of that side of things. Um, it, yeah, it became very apparent that it was like, okay, I really like being able to kind of have like both sides of this. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's just something that at least personality wise, or at least just maybe just whoever I am or was born with it or learned these behaviors, whatever, like those two things, I think I've always kind of needed a certain like balance of, you know what I mean? Um, but I also think the common thread with all of those things is truly just kind of like being the rawest, like most honest form of that kind of music, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'll likely be like, overly flattering here. I'm not just doing that because you're on here, but like he, <laughs> he has a beautiful voice. Um, but it, it's sort of like a voice for a sound. And I think yeah. like, you have a voice for a sound and it is, it, it's like when I listen to it, it is like an old soul kind of voice for a music in a region. Um, and it's something to it. I don't know if this, I don't know if I can even articulate this. It almost feels a bit timeless. Like it feels like it fits into like the genre perfectly. I, if that makes any sense, it's almost like, all right, maybe this is stupid, but like, um, you know, like, uh, God, what the hell are they called? They just won like a Grammy. Um, it's Jason Isbell's wife, the highway women or the high women. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The highway or the, yeah, the highway women, I think, I think is what it, yeah. Um, yeah. Amanda Pearlshires and right. Um, her yeah. her voice to me, it's almost like like if Dolly Parton sounded like Mariah Carey, like it wouldn't like just like her natural like cadence, it wouldn't fit into that music so well. Um, yeah, and that's a really weird way to like circle back to my question, which is like, there's quite a difference between screaming for a hardcore band and like having this sort of like southernish croon to your voice like did you recognize it at some point like hey like my voice is is good for this music and this could work um yeah for sure i think yeah and i think with saying this like i have to also recognize there were many maybe many routes that I tried with my voice that really like didn't work out like at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it just, obviously it, it felt, even though at the time I thought like I was making it sound like this certain person that I was listening to and that would be good. Um, 
you could just almost tell in like people's reactions that it was kind of like, I don't know, that doesn't really, there's something about that that like just doesn't feel like you, you know what I mean? Um, and kind of, you know, I would say really when I started feeling a bit more comfortable or a bit, maybe like I felt a bit more belonging with my voice. Um, because just so you know, too, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I know I said I, you know, screamed in that band in high school, but I would say that most of my, I've been, I feel like I've been in a, a lot of bands that I've kind of not really, really ever gone anywhere. It's just been a lot of different projects. You know what I mean? And I would say that in most of those, I was really a lot more of like a supporting role. You know what I mean? Where I was, I was playing guitar. Maybe I was writing the guitar parts or the songs themselves, but um, ultimately it was, if I did vocals or if I did anything like that, it was more of like a backup or a supporting thing. So I remember often feeling like I want to sing like just in a band or I want to sing like just me, but I don't think that my voice is like interesting enough. You know what I mean? To, to kind of cross over into that. Um, and I would really say the, the band that like kind of like changed that for me in a sense, um, really when I kind of like started learning their songs and playing them was um, the Avert Brothers, like from, you know, from really just kind of 25 minutes down the road from where I grew up, um, you know, with this duo that I thought was like, I was like, okay, so they kind of come from the same, like they're kind of come from this punk world, but, you know, um, one of them has this dynamic of like a really kind of softer, like much more controlled, like classic voice. And the other being, uh, you know, Scott, this kind of more like, um, I guess you could just kind of say like more raw, like it's, it felt like it was more about like, yes, he is singing, but it feels like it's more about like what he's saying and the way that he's saying it, I guess. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I would just say it was really, they were kind of one of the first groups that I listened to and felt like I want to play that or I want to sing that, that really like made me feel a little bit more comfortable with kind of, I guess what you could say, like what I had to give in a sense, mm. you know? Um, and I'm, I mean, but still to this day, I'm often just feel like, I don't fucking know, man. I don't know if my voice is really <laughs> the one that needs to be the, the main one. You know what I mean? Um, because really like, I don't feel like I sound like any of those people that I just mentioned <laughs> at all. You know, like I, there are certain aspects of them that I still look up to and feel like, yeah, but I don't really do that either. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I don't even really know if that answers your question that well, to be honest. No, no, um, I, I think it does. Cause I was, I was going to follow with like, who, who do you think really like influenced your sound? So um, if, if there is anyone, so that, that makes sense. Um, do you, I'll start with a basic question. Uh, do you, and have you done a lot of, of, of reading? Like, do you read a lot? Yeah. Um, I would say poetry is kind of the main thing that yeah. I gravitate towards. Um, when I was, I think 20 years old, maybe 21, um, I came across this spoken word poet named Anis Mosgani, um, that i is originally from uh, New Orleans, but is I, I believe now is maybe, maybe either in Austin or maybe in Portland, but I think have lived in both places at one time. But, um, you know, I, I would be perfectly honest with you, kind of leading up to like middle school, high school, and even like my first 
little while in college, like I enjoyed reading, but just would really, really, really have a hard time like sitting down and making myself completely like take the time to read things. You know, if I did, or if I finished a novel, it felt like it had to be something that like immediately like got me, you know what I mean? Um, or something that I'd already felt like some prior connection to in a way. Um, and then, you know, when I found this poet, um, and started buying his books and then that kind of opened me up to, you know, a lot of different, uh, poets and writers in general, but then I started really getting into Appalachian poetry and Appalachian literature. And that's when it really kind of started to like click for me, you know, because it was really then that I started to feel like, I feel like I'm reading a story about where my grandmother grew up or maybe an experience that my, you know, great grandpa had or something. It's just something that was, it felt a little closer to like home. You know what I mean? Um, so like, yeah, those, I, I would say now, and especially since then, like that's been the like kind of main things that I read, I would say it's like more poetry, prose, that, that sort of thing. Not to put you on the spot, but is there any like Appalachian writer or poet that you could shout out? Cause I, I know, I, I think I know none. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, um, one of my favorites definitely is Ron Rash, um, who is, I believe in like Cullowee area, um, kind of Western, Western Carolina university area. Um, Ron Rash is absolutely one of my favorites, um, both for poetry and for novels as well. But, um, let's see here. There's, uh, uh, Gurney Norman, Gurney Norman's an incredible Nikki Finney. Oh, okay. Here we go. If you want to start, if you want to really start into like a whole, a, a big thing, I would feel like that's really kind of changed my life, definitely. Um, you should definitely look into the Afrolatian poets, um, which houses many, many different poets. But, um, you know, Frank X. Walker, Nikki Finney, um, Crystal Wilkinson, like they're, there's a lot of heavy hitters within the Afrolatian poets, for sure. Ah, oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to check those out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the reason I asked the initial question is, not to follow it with a, with a question necessarily, but just to say that like um, it makes sense that you mentioned poetry. Uh, like heavy feathers to me, like reads as a poem. If if you think of a of a verse in a song as a stanza in a poem, like that first verse is like that crushes me, man. Like that is whenever I I see lyrics that I like really connect with. Maybe oh, this probably sounds like condescending, maybe, but like. I often think like that, that person's gotta be like a reader. Um, you know, like sort of like hard living can, can help you to write good words and lyrics, but, but writing is hard. Like I don't write songs, but I try to do a little bit of writing. Um, I'm on like the early stages of trying to do a book and it isn't easy. So when I see somebody who can, who can write something that just feels like crushing, it's like, oh man, this is like, this is coming from, this is coming from a place. Um, and often I find that like my favorite singers and musicians like are oft, often pulling from like a wealth of experience of like years of reading. Um, 
And that's that's just sort of the the sense that I got when I was checking out your lyrics. I don't know. Yeah, I well, first of all, I I really appreciate you saying that because I do think and again, I don't want to I don't want to sound pretentious or like a cocky asshole either. Um, but there are a lot of songwriters that I really enjoy their music and I really enjoy what they do. Um, but at the end of the day, often feel like I want something a little bit more, you know, from the, the lyrical aspect of it. Um, and I think like, yeah, I think that there's a lot of people I think they can really, they can write songs. Well, they know what like catches people. They know where to put certain pieces and things like that, you know? Um, and then I think there are other artists who they're saying these very like universal truths almost that we all kind of feel of like, I'm sad or I'm, I'm depressed or I'm even joyful. You know what I mean? But they say it in a way of like, like John Moreland, for instance, you know, says like, I'm thirsty, but the Holy keep on pissing in my well, you know what I mean? Like, and just like, you just think of it where you hear it in ways like that, where you're just like, good God, yeah, exactly. how, you know, like, and it's like, if I can't do that, then like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it at all. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to even be a part of it or try if I can't get like somewhat close to that. You know what I mean? Um, and again, that's not to say that there's any less value in a really good, like simple, not fucking like diary page song. You know what I mean? It's actually selfishly kind of encouraging to hear you say that because the way you're thinking yeah. of John Moylan's lyrics are like what I'm thinking of like when I read your lyrics. And it's not just you, but like often when I'm trying to write, I'm like thinking in that same way of people who have put words together in a way to convey an emotion that like, I feel like I might not be able to do. And I'm just like, well, what's even the freaking point of doing this if I can't do it right. like they can do it? Yeah. Right. That, that's interesting to Absolutely. hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know what? Yeah, it can be stressful for sure. Mm, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't no, mean to interrupt. No, no, mm. no, no. It's cool. Um, well, I guess my next thought is like when, when we're younger and we're growing up in sort of like a punk tradition, um, it, it feels good in a way for bands to not, it's so selfish, but to not get like widespread exposure, right? Because, and, and it's sort of like the, I always bring this up that I had this thing that like, you know, the kids who were shitty to me when I was younger, who then started like getting into punk and hardcore or whatever it was, it was like, no, this, is, this isn't for you because like you were shitty when like this was all I had or whatever. And like it's a, it's a very young right. person's way of looking at it. Um, and I did one tour, not as a band member. I was, I was a roadie and I drove a van and, you know, it was a DIY band and it was sleeping on floors, playing in basements, you know, not being comfortable, but that's okay when you're 20 and actually like kind of like romantic and fun. Absolutely. You know, the older you, you get, like you'd think, you know, hopefully this will start to pay dividends. Like, there's not many lifers, but even if you're a lifer, like you have to, you have to make ends meet. Right. Um, and yeah. so like, this is going to be a huge convoluted thought. So let me try to get this out of my head. But, um, I remember speaking of the MySpace days, like you did, 
there, I remember there was this girl I was crushing on, like, God, I had to be 21, 22. And she had like, you could have like a song play when someone like went to your MySpace page. And she had the tallest mm -hmm. man on earth when he had just had, I guess it's this first record is like self-titled, I guess. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, like, oh shit, like, of course this dude's mm -hmm. gonna blow up bigger than he is. Like, th this is incredible. Or like, like Bon Iver, right? Like when, when Skinny Love came out and like he, like, there's like this European YouTube channel, like La Blago Tech or something like that. And he did this acoustic show with like candlelight all around and there's like 20, oh, yeah. 20 people there. And it's like, oh, of course, this, this guy is going to be huge. Like this, of course. But then there's people that I listen to and I think that like, like I love A.A. Bondi, if you're familiar with him at all. And, it, and, Ooh. and I just think like, how is this not huge? Like, you know, I, how, how is this not hit? So right. like when I heard Briarvine, like I, I was like, and not, I mean the whole album. Um, but when I heard that song, I was just like, this to me is in that tradition of like, I feel like I could have heard this alongside the tallest man on earth, like 12 years ago. And like, now we'd be 12 years removed and like, you wouldn't have the time of day to sit down and do a podcast with me. Um, so I don't know if there's a question there, but like, I guess what it would be is like, do you, do you have aspirations of like making this like a full-time touring thing? Like, a like, 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 is there ever hope that like sub pop reaches out to you someday or somewhere in some, like, we want to put out your next record. Yeah. Um, man, Tim, it's really, it's really interesting and just kind of, kind of funny, like, yeah, just one that you would, you know, kind of ask this part of this, just because like, it's something that I feel like I've been obsessively thinking about for a long, long time, you know? Um, and when I really say a long time, I, I would say like the last, you know, couple years where I really felt like, like I told you, I kind of played in a lot of different bands that I thought you know, with some of them, I really thought like, I think this is like the one, not the one that's going to be like, we're going to play stadiums with this shit, but just like the one that like, I felt like this one has like a, a good thing. I think this is, this could be carried, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe it could be sustainable. Um, and maybe that feeling wasn't true, but I at least had like the hope for it. You know what I mean? Um, and it wasn't really until I kind of like decided to start just doing my own, just kind of thing, I guess you could say, like playing solo to where, yeah, I was just kind of like, this is what I truly want to do. You know, this is what I, this is what I feel like is the most me out of all these things that I've kind of partook in or like tried out, you know? Um, and yeah, you look at, it's funny, like the, I would say the musical influences, especially in this realm that I have the most are in fact those people that we're talking about that are like, you're just like, how the fuck are you, what, like, what do you do in your off time? You know what I mean? Like, how do you make ends meet? Because like your songs are absolutely incredible, but I know that you're not like making huge, huge leaps and bounds with it as far as like touring goes or right. something like that. Like AA Bondi, I think is a, a great example. You know what I mean? Um, I think Molina, I think Molina is a, a really good example too, where I'm not trying to take away from at all from, 
you know, I think the influence that he had, but I do think it's, it's pretty obvious that like you kind of know about Jason Molina or you really don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, like John Moreland, who I mentioned earlier, I think is kind of on a different level from some of those people, but at the same time, it's still not like, I don't know. It hasn't like gone over that like hill necessarily. Um, and I'll be completely honest with you, but it's shit like that to me. That's like terrifying. You know what I mean? Because on the one hand, it's like, you don't want to, I don't want to be doing this thing with the ultimate goal being like, I want this to be a full-time thing. Um, because sometimes that can get a little muddied up with like the fame aspect of it or the notoriety aspect of it, you know? Um, but I think on the flip side of that, like you also want to continue to, to stay true and to play the songs that you want to write and play because you, you feel like that's the only thing, the only choice that you have, you know? Um, and like I was mentioning earlier, like even applying for this job this past week, you know, it's like, it's kind of one of these first steps that I've taken where I'm like, have kind of, I don't know if I'm going to say like accepted, but have kind of like had to become comfortable with the fact that like, yes, I just put out this record. And if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I, I think that it's the most honest and maybe best thing that I've put out thus far, or the thing that I feel most proud of thus far, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, like nothing's really changed specifically from that, like, other than that it's out and that people are the people that have always supported me are continuing to support and, and do that. And like, I have to be grateful for that. Um, but also have to, it sucks, man. Also have to like, ask yourself this question, like at what point do I kind of, I don't know, like kind of give that idea up in a, at least a little bit to kind of have some more, some other sense of, uh, stability in some way. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 20 years old anymore or I'm not 22 even anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it feels like if I, if I'm going to venture into that, it feels like it's got to be in some sense, like a little bit more worth it for me, I guess you could say, you know, whether that be financially or even just with the shows themselves, you know, and it almost feels like, yeah, I don't know. It almost feels like cocky to say that, you know, cause it's almost like this, like, are you above these shows or do, who do you think you are to, you know, like think that of yourself. And it's not really that it's just, you do it for so long, you know, and you have to wonder at some points, like, where do I fit into this for a sustainable long period thing, you know? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you being so honest about that. I, think that's like that's just real right <laughs> um totally yeah yeah I, I sort of identify with it not that i'm like in your realm at all but like i am at in sort of like a transition phase where like i'm leaving like something that's lucrative and seemingly successful to most people from the outside but doesn't make me happy when like artistic endeavors do but i'm also realistic about the fact that like those often don't pay off. Um, right. But also like, again, selfishly about, about your stuff is like, 
I don't know. I'm not like a critic. M- music critics are bullshit anyway. But like, um, <laughs> I, th- I think I can identify something that I think is just like really good and, and poetic and talented. And like, yeah, like that would be a real shame to not see like what happens 10 years down the line from you, like three records later or whatever, like what you're able to produce. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting and real. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, the record came out in June, uh, June. It's, it's not even June yet. January. Sorry. Well, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. I was even to myself, I was like, did it come out <laughs> this, whole past, this whole past year, like time wise and timeline. I just, it's really, which I would like to say too, it's very possible. You know, I think I'd been feeling these types of feelings with like my musical journey for, for quite some time and just kind of wondering about it. But I would also say the inability to be able to play these songs for people and to kind of connect in that, like, there's a big part of that or this whole thing that is like, that's, it, it feels vitally important, yeah. you know? Cause like, yes, you can obviously say that like, yeah, well, I don't write my songs for other people. Like I just write them for myself. And it's like, yeah, like kinda, but you also write, I personally, like I also do that in a sense to feel closer to people, you know what I mean? Or to, for other people to feel closer in some way. So like, I would also say like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's having some, you know, huge effect too (laughs) on this whole like kind of, uh, overarching feeling, you know? But um, anyway, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to throw it off with that. No, but, no, no. It's cool. Um, but yeah, I um, shit. I'm sorry. I completely. No, I don't. I don't even. I, I don't even think I had a point. <laughs> Often I don't. I just go on <laughs> tangents. But no, no, no. I love this. It's great. So it's like great. Um, when so like the record comes out, right? Like. Do you at all hear from like, I, I don't even know like the word, like people in the music business, in the industry that like. Yeah. I mean, personally, man. Yeah. That's never really, I feel like I can honestly say that's never really happened to me at all. Um, you know, with this last record, um, the first record I ever put out between the Hallelujahs, like I put that out by myself really Um, you know, I kind of had the label of Rivertown records, which just to be perfectly honest with you at that time, um, I guess you could say it was a record label. It was, or a DIY record label. It was really more of like a good supportive group of kind of like-minded either musicians or visual artists or poets, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Um, but it also allowed me to put like on the CD, you know, like, Rivertown records and made it, it kind of made it look a little more official, you know? Um, but with this last record, I, you know, I knew that I knew that I wanted it to expand further than that. Like the first one I did, you know, I knew that I wanted it to be a little bit bigger. I felt like there was, I felt like there was more instrumentation. I felt like there was more work that had put it, been put into it. Um, and I think truly, I just felt like the songs themselves were, better than the, you know, the first record that I put out, which, yeah, I hope that I continue to feel that way. But, but, um, you know, initially I was just kind of like, I mean, I guess I'm just going to put this out. Like I put out everything else, which is just kind of like maybe build up to it for a couple of weeks. Like maybe I'll put like a, 
you know, pretty low key music video out for it or something. And, and that'll kind of be that. Um, so there's, yeah, it's always like the hope that it kind of gets to some different place, but never really knowing like how to get there, you know, um, other than just being like, I'm going to throw this out there and like hope that something bites, you know, um, in really with, with bitter melody records, like, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tim. No, no, no. I was interrupting you. I'm sorry. I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to say with, with bitter melody records, like that was really a thing that was kind of out of left field, like was not really expected at all. Um, you know, bitter melody is really one person kind of like a passion project, I guess you could say, uh, a uh, person named Grant that lives about an hour from where I live. Um, yeah. And he just kind of reached out to me and, you know, he mainly puts out like punk and hardcore records. Um, and typically I don't, you know, it doesn't really put out stuff that uh, like June bug, I guess you could say. Um, but he reached out to me and it was after I'd put out the video for heavy feathers. Um, and he, you know, asked if I was putting it out with anyone and he was like, well, I'd really love to print it to vinyl um, and I'd really love to help you do that. And that was really like the first time that anyone had just kind of like reached out and felt like they were expressing, like, I think this, this song's really good. Or I think you're, this record's really good. I want to help you, you know, put it into some format that it maybe wouldn't have been, uh, without me, I guess you could say, you know? Um, yeah. So Grant was like an extremely huge help in that. Like even, you know, at least if anything got me, I mean, a, got me into these like kind of publications, online publications that were, and like that had never happened for me before, you know, um, Jessica Lee Mayfield, like being on this record, that was a thing that had really like never happened for me before either, you know? Um, but yeah, even with that, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, the, the old email or phone line, then, you know, it's pretty quiet for the most part when it comes to, other entities reaching out, I guess, you know, do you think in 2021 that location matters at all? That like, if you're in Nashville or like, obviously what, like New York or LA, that that still is like advantageous to be in one of those hubs. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that it's become a little bit more accessible if you're not in one of those places. Like, I think that you can kind of make, some sort of headway more so than you like you used to be able to in that kind of setting or whatever. But I do think that ultimately like, yeah, there, I think there are certain places where the rubber just kind of like hits the road, like a little bit harder. You know what I mean? Um, that like most recent video that I put out with Jessica Lee Mayfield was filmed in LA. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever really been there. Um, and you could just tell, like, I'm not going to say that everyone kind of looked at you like you were competition, but it was almost like you could tell, like, if someone found out, you know, if I'm hanging out with a friend at this bar or something, and if someone finds out like, oh, like he's like a folk singer and he's here to like record this music video or something, it was immediately like the kind of perception changed, you know what I mean? Like where they were kind of like, oh, really? Like, so what do you, what do you do? Like, what do you are you, who have you played with? Like, what have you done with that? Like, um, and kind of the same thing in the times that I've played in Nashville, like, like people really like to, even if they're not necessarily at a different level than you, they definitely want to make sure, you know, like, well, I've, you know, I've 
kind of done studio sessions with this person or that person. Um, and you know, man, like my initial reaction to that, maybe just because of like the whole like punk hardcore aspect is always going to be like, uh, yeah, okay, fucking cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but ultimately like there's no way that that can't put you in some different circle. You know what I'm saying? That could potentially lead to, to a lot of things, you know? What was the thought process with the eight track? That's like a real like record collector, ner- record nerd type of thing. Um, what were you thinking yeah. with that? Yeah. Well, again, man, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Like that was really like all Grant at Bitter Melody. Um, I I don't think I've, I ever would have thought like, oh, maybe I should put this record on an eight track. You know what I mean? Like um, I've done like cassette tapes before and I really like that just because like I'm kind of a like cassette tape collector you know what I mean um and it's usually like a pretty cheap and kind of fun way you can make it look pretty cool for not a lot of money you know um but with eight tracks I just yeah I was always kind of like I don't even know people that own like an eight track player you know like I I don't you know what I mean like I I still have not listened to this record on eight track at all but um but again, like Grant is a very like, like I think collector kind of person in that sense as well. And I think a lot of the people that, um, that he's released before, he's kind of done those like small, like really like collector batches of things, you know what I mean? And so he basically has like a, he has like an eight track guy, you know what I'm saying? Where like he and this guy have done this, this type of thing before and, um, yeah, he was just like, I'm just going to do like 30 eight-track tapes. Is that cool with you? And it was just kind of like, yeah, of course. That sounds that sounds great. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It, Nothing, it, uh, yeah, it wasn't, I can't, I can't claim that it was my idea at all, <laughs> to be honest. It, so is the record available right now on vinyl, and are there still eight-tracks out there, or those are sold out? So I've, I think that as far as the vinyl records go, I think I've pretty much got like the last little bit of those in the actually like, you know, just kind of in the next room over here. Um, there are definitely no pink vinyls left, um, but there are blue, like the Coke bottle blue uh, vinyls. And I think I've got like maybe 30 of those left. And then I've maybe got about like four, eight tracks left. Um, and, you know, again, Grant might have a couple just kind of laying around with him too. But for the most part, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to reach out to you for one of those, but how do we send people in your direction if they want to buy a record? Yeah. So, um, I would definitely say the easiest way right now is probably to, probably to go through bitter melody records and there's a link to it on that. If, if that is by chance, um, maybe not available yet on there, or if it's like maybe sold out through that Avenue, um, yeah, people can email me. Um, I'd say email is probably the, the easiest way to do that. Um, and then I can kind of, you know, basically from there, it's pretty informal. I'll just kind of ask for your address and then shoot it on your way, you know? Well, they, they put out integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of integrity. Oh, indecision, yeah. indecisions from New York. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, and like, like I said, some of the publications, like the online ones that he got me into, uh, like no echo and things like that. Like they're really like primarily, you know, hardcore and punk. Um, I felt 
super grateful to be a part of that, you know? Oh, that's cool. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. So, um, I'll start to wrap this. I'm going to link people. Everyone listening knows you could go in whatever application you're listening to. You'll find a link to, to your stuff, uh, to the record label to buy the LP if they want. I'll also have a link to like the band camp and the digital downloads and stuff like that. Um, I'll, I'll end this probably with a long winded outro as I, as I introed it. But, um, again, like when I'm traveling, like I'm not only interested if I'm, if I'm talking to musicians, I'm not only interested in talking to music that I like, like musicians that I like, like if I can find a musician that sort of encapsulates a place, that's really interesting to me. Even if it's something that doesn't have like a ton of replay value to me, um, that usually is sort of, sort of irrelevant, but Again, the first song I heard was was Briarvine, and I, I listened to Junebug like front to back digitally, so it's not actually front to back. But um, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is this is so good. And then I heard Never Lets Up, and I'm like, how is this also so good? So people will hear. I'm gonna play like right after this conversation. People will will hear Waiting for a Day. Um, but you know, similar to when I'm feeling when I was feeling young one of my closest friends now has two kids. He's, he, he's more of an adult, I guess, than I am. Um, but yeah. 10, 12, 13 years back, we used to like meet up. We were high school friends. And when we were in college, we would meet up at like his parents' backyard and we would make a fire and we would just talk shit, but also like talk books and music and, and stuff like that. And so those experiences are few and far between now, but on, on weekends, uh, my partner Leslie teaches yoga, like 20 minute drive from here, which is closer to where he lives. And sometimes he'll, I'll drive out with her and I'll meet up with him and we'll get a coffee and we'll talk about stuff. And we met up this past Saturday and uh, talking more shit talking books. But then also I'm like, Hey, like, I want to tell you about this guy that I just discovered. Um, and, and you got to check this out. And again, it's like, I'm like this song, but, but also this song and also this song, like very much again, <laughs> like that 13 year old kid who was like swiping through record crates at a distro. And someone's like, go check out this record. And it like, just like blew my world open. Um, right. so I'll say that to say I'm just one person. Um, but you know, I sincerely hope that you do keep at it and that you keep producing music. Cause like I am connecting with something here. And I think a lot of people, can and will, uh, and like you, you just write really beautiful stuff, dude. So I'll stop gushing and, and just, uh, say again, thank you for doing this. Hey, thank you, Dim, seriously for, first of all, for all the kind words, but for a conversation that I, yeah, I often feel like I talk way too much or I'm too long winded, but you know, like these things that you asked me are things that I, I love to talk about, you know what I mean? So I appreciate you also being like, having this really comfortable space that like, it's been super enjoyable for me, you know? Cool. Um, yeah. And I hope this is not, I hope this is not the last time that we talk, you know? Yeah, definitely. If, if you're, I don't know if you're a beer drinker, but the next time I, I, I happen to notice that there are many breweries in Nashville. So <laughs> <laughs> just a few buddy, just a few. Yeah. <laughs> would be, uh, would be happy to buy you a, a beer and, and maybe do uh do a round two of the episode. So thanks man. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I I look forward to it, bud. Hey, everyone. That is a wrap on episode 224 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. 
Ah, I really enjoyed that. That felt really special. Uh, John really is one of the one of the best musicians that I believe are out there right now, and I hope that he gets a lot of shine. And I hope five years from now we are seeing him, you know, in, in bigger venues and on the festival circuit and all that kind of stuff because I think he deserves it and his music's really great. So go to the show notes again and you will find links to his music. I'm going to play you another song now that will kind of play us out. And that is called Waiting for a Day. So I will sign off here, Voyagers, and say thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to John also for joining me on this episode. And as always, folks, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon and enjoy this tune by John Charles Dwyer. So oh.